Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. This week on Vroom, I'm joined by Joe Talbot and Tom Taparis, two young riders making a name for themselves on the 600s. Joe Talbot in the British Superstock 600 Championship and Tom Taparis, a former World Supersport points finisher as a teenager. He was racing in British Supersport this year. off as we do every week on Vroom with a look back at the last seven days in the motorsport world and what a week it's been on two and four wheels. Stories galore. Let's start if we can with the Formula One World Championship. F1 was back at the Istanbul Park Circuit uh, in Istanbul. What a fantastic weekend it was. The weather absolutely atrocious. Lance Stroll making the headlines going into the race, a first career pole position for the Canadian and the first pole position for a Canadian driver since Jacques Villeneuve in the 1997 European Grand Prix. Stroll would only finish ninth in the race that was won by Lewis Hamilton, who by winning the race after starting sixth on the grid, secured a record equaling seventh world title. Can he make it eight next year to become the greatest or most successful, depending on which way you look at it, uh, driver of all time. Sticking with four wheels, the British Touring Car Championship had their season finale at uh, Brands Hatch, and uh, what a great weekend it was for fans of touring car racing. Race one then at Brands Hatch of the three was won by Dan Camish, who kept his championship hopes alive. Ash Sutton won race two, Rory Butcher winning in race three. What did that mean for the overall championship? It meant that Ash Sutton became a two-time British touring car champion. An incredible season. Colin Turkington in the BMW rounding out a season in second place for the BMW. We can also stick with uh, the four wheels and talk about the World Touring Car Championship. Jan Erlischer uh, was the uh, World Touring Car Champion, crowned in style at Motorland Aragon on Sunday afternoon. Turning our attention then back to two wheels, uh, which is, of course, where we will be focusing on in this week's episode uh, with our two guests, Tom Taparis and Joe Talbot. But uh, there was a world championship, in fact, three world championships up for grabs at Valencia. The MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 world championships could all be decided uh, in Spain. What happened? Well, we can say that from a Moto2 and Moto3 perspective, titles will go to Portimao. Uh, it was a win, of course, for Jorge Martin. Hector Garzo taking a career first podium ahead of Marco Bezzecchi in Moto2. In Moto3, Tony Arbolino kept his world championship alive, uh, winning from Sergio Garcia and Raul Fernandez. Both of those championships will go down to the final round in Portimao this coming weekend. But in MotoGP, wow, it was celebrations all around for Joan Mir. He becomes the 2020 MotoGP world champion. Uh, he finished outside of the top six in the race. That's all academic. Uh, the most uh, uh, consistent rider of the season, wrapping up the championship. The first world championship for a Suzuki rider in 20 years. Absolutely incredible. Kenny Roberts Jr., of course, winning the title back in 2000. In terms of race results, Frankie Morbidelli uh, won a last lap uh, thriller from Jack Miller with Paul Espargaro on the KTM, finishing in third place. As I said, MotoGP may be uh, done and dusted. The uh, Formula One World Championship may be done and dusted. So too, uh, the uh, Moto America BSB and World Touring Cars, all done and dusted as well. But we do still have two World Championships to be decided. 11 points separate Albert Arenas, Ayagura and Tony Arbolino. And uh, less than 25 points cover the, t uh, the four riders in Moto2 with Enea Bastianini, Sam Lowes, Luca Marini and Marco Bezzecchi all in with a shout of winning the World Championship. The final MotoGP races of the season are happening this weekend in Portimao and we'll of course be bringing you the updates and the news in next week's show as to which riders wrap up the respective titles. We should also be in a position next week to tell you about the World Superbike calendar. Uh, the rumours are building strongly that the World Superbike calendar will be released later this week after the broadcast deadline for the podcast. So unfortunately, we can't bring you the calendar in this week's show. 
but fingers crossed we will have our first glimpse of the 2021 World Superbike calendar in next week's show. Of course, uh, that is uh, subject to the dates being released by Dorna. Other news uh, that we can tell you is that, uh, of course, uh, Cal Crutchlow has decided to call it a day. He will no longer be a racer uh, full-time next year. He will take over from Jorge Lorenzo as Yamaha's test rider. Andrea Davizioso is taking a sabbatical. And who will join Aleix Espargaro at Aprilia? Well, lots of names being thrown into the hat, including Eugene Laverty, Chaz Davies, Tito Rabat, and uh, also Marco Bezzecchi. We also understand that Fabio Gidantonio's name has been thrown into the mix as well. Aprilia saying that they will make an announcement regarding their rider for MotoGP in 2021, and they'll make that announcement in the run-up to the Portuguese Grand Prix. My first guest this week on the Vroom podcast is young, talented British Superstock 600 rider Joe Talbot, who is dialing in from uh, near Warrington uh, in the northwest of the United Kingdom. Joe, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, how, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. First one. So, see how this goes. Well, yeah, fine. Just a bit in the off season now, training to getting bored. I want to go out to Spain pre test and that, but just sit inside because of COVID. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's not not the way that we expected this year to go. But despite the COVID uh, pandemic, you did manage to go racing uh, this yeah. year. And, and I just want to say, obviously, we're we're honoured that if this is your first podcast, then uh, I better make sure that I don't make any mistakes. So you'll be expecting perfection. No, yeah, yeah, first one ever. I'm happy we got the racing. Just got cleared to be fair, and then we had to go in this other lockdown. But we were meant to be going Portimao, and I'd never been there, and I was like really excited to go there. So. Unfortunately, we couldn't go there, but like I say, I got two championships, which I'm happy about, the uh, No Limits Endurance and the Sprint and the Elite in the 600, and uh, a seventh in my first year in the Stock 600 in BSB. So, and uh, I also did another championship, my last, my last uh, one before this lockdown, and I got second in that. I missed a round at Mallory, which wasn't because I was at Silverstone, but busy, busy short year, but yeah, but it being enjoyable. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds like you've been uh, doing a lot of racing. I wasn't aware of all of the championships that you'd been doing. Yeah, now, obviously, just trying to get much, so much in because, you know, the, the time off, because we went to uh, Spain a lot, just get, trying to get used to the 600, but we had then the break, so we just tried to fit as much as possible. Absolutely. No, it sounds great. And Let's just, for the benefit of the people that listen, we have several thousand um, subscribers that are listening, some of them from the motorcycle world, some of them from the car world. So not everybody that's listening will know who Joe Talbot is or what your background is. So before we talk about this season particularly, and we will talk about the No Limits Endurance, and of course we're going to talk about BSB, let's turn the clock back because, I mean, you are still really, really young. You're You're a teenager, but how did it all start for you? Can you remember when you were first on a bike? What got you interested in racing? Yeah, well... Very first bike I was on, uh, my grandma and my granddad have got some land and I go, and I think I started on like quad bikes, like really young, started on quad bikes, my dad got me and he's always like motorbikes, motocross bikes and then I got on a motocross bike outfit and then my first ever race was on a 65cc on a motocross bike so that's, it was like quite late for motocross, you see a lot of kids on little autos just riding all the time but I rode motocross bikes for years. I got all the way up to like a, a big wheel 85 before I, I called it quits with it. I had three knee injuries, like re, re, reconstructions from a knee. So I, uh, my dad decided after the third one, he decided a different route. He's done road biking. He's never raced one, but he's done track days and gone places. And I'd got on a 390 and... That was my first, um, uh, yeah, that's my first ever bike, road bike. Got my orange bib on and then did a, then just went straight into Thunder Sport Super Teens. Uh, bought another, I bought a Aprilia 450. That were my two bikes, a KTM 390 and a 450. That was my first year with that. And then I was just getting used to it. And that I finished, where did I finish? I think I finished six overall 
which I was like fairly happy with in my first ever year because I'd never touched tarmac before. I've only been on tarmac, uh, well, this season was my third year. So I've only been on tarmac three years. And that was my, f- and then obviously second year, 2019, I won the Transport Championship. Wow, so third year of racing. And how old are you now, just for the people listening? Just, just turned 17, just turned 17. Yeah. Wow, so you, you hit tarmac when you were 14. It's super yeah. different, isn't it? It's very different to, to riding motocross. I mean, the fact that you've had three knee reconstruction surgeries before you turned yeah. 14 is a... Uh, I'm not sure whether your dad was uh, whether your dad was spot on or whether he's a little bit crazy. It's like, we'll, we'll take you off these motocross bikes where you're doing the jumps and we'll stick no, you on a yeah. bike and you can do 120 mile an hour and you'll be all right soon. Yeah, yeah it was... It's, it's, I love motocross, but it was just so aggressive. Like you have to go out so much, and then like these winter times, you're just riding in all slop and mud, and sometimes it don't get as enjoyable. But yeah, I never. To when I did my knee injuries, uh, three times I did it every Easter. So for three years, my knee, I did my knee every Easter, and it, I'd never fell off uh, doing it. I just put my foot down in some mud, and then it got, and then it obviously got twisted and stuff, which didn't. Nice, but yeah, I never had a massive, massive crash or anything. I just put my put stamp my foot down in big slop, and then it just twists. Wow, well, I mean, you're super lucky that you're you're able to still still continue. Yeah. And I guess obviously motocross's losses is road racing's gain, as they say. So uh, you're now on the tarmac. Um, can you remember your first time on the bike? Can you remember the first time you put your knee down? I mean, it's very different from going over the whoops and tabletop jumps and stuff, isn't it? That to get yeah. down for the first time. Yeah, when I first ever got onto a road bike and seen anything about it and my brother was on an old um r6 and he was always motocross then and my dad tried to persuade him but he didn't like it to be fair he thought it was boring for him and uh, i remember like my second or third time out i remember me at mallory and i think i got my knee down there like around mallory park around that big right hander and I properly, I properly enjoyed it from the get-go. And then Anglesey, because Mallory and Anglesey was the only place you could go until you were 16, because they're MSV. So I remember going on Jamie Whitten days. I did quite a few of them. They're good. And uh, I was at the Mallory in, in the wet, and I got my knee down in the wet, and I was buzzing. No, that's crazy. I mean, again, for the people that are listening, Mallory Park is a is a small circuit uh, in Leicestershire. Uh, it's about fifty nine second lap, I think, on a on a super teen bike. It might have changed a little bit, but uh, super bikes used to race there uh, back in the day. And obviously, Jamie Whittam. A lot of people listening will will know who Jamie Whittam is, a former superbike champ. He's raced in World Superbike and does a lot of track days now. And I, I guess that must have been a, a load of fun riding around the track with uh, with Whit because uh, he he actually gets on track with with you guys doesn't he he's not just a a name that's attached to a to a company that runs track days he gets the leathers on and gets out there with you that must have been that must have been mint yeah it was probably like it was good and then uh, i've i know uh, yeah, i know adam jenkinson have you heard of him yeah 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 jenko i met uh i've not met him but like i had him a lot of time like he was with my group like a couple of times and now when i bump into him in the paddock like he still says hello and that and i, I just find it like proper nice how they like they still remember you yeah no that is good i mean that th- that is one of the things that a lot of people like about motorcycle racing isn't it whether you're a fan uh, watching on the outside or whether you're a racer it is a big family isn't it it's a, there's a lot of respect between everybody in the paddock and out of the paddock and it, it's, it's it's a real a real good good sport for for that in terms of the camaraderie now you mentioned a couple of championships and again i'm just going to try and explain and if i get this wrong please please correct me um the differences because a lot of people listening when you're talking about no limits endurance and 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 msv they're not going to be sure what that is so msvr is is motorsports vision racing they are basically the the company that runs bsb the the british superbike championship uh and no limits uh very much renowned as a track day company so if you're a road rider you can go and ride your bike at various tracks around the uk and in europe as well um, but over the last few years, they've also been running various championships of their own, haven't they? Uh, and as you mentioned, they're the endurance championship. Great achievement for you to, to ride in the endurance uh, championship. That's a very different kind of racing to, to BSB. And obviously, we'll talk about BSB in a minute. But how do you approach that as a, as a young sort of teenager riding endurance racing when you're racing at what, four, four hour races, eight hour races? Yeah, three hours it was because uh, that was the maximum I did. And I think there was about four of them. And uh, 
yeah, there was last year was the well this year, sorry, it was the first time I did any endurances and we just thought like it'd be a good idea to get like bike bike timing and a lot of laps around these circuits just before I go racing or after, just to get me eye in on around these tracks on the big bike and do as many laps as I can. I did it with my uh, teammate called Dan Brooks and uh, with my team, JR Performance. And that was the, yeah, that was the first time I ever did it. And it's, I've proper enjoyed it with like the Le Mans start. And then, but like, it's three hours is a long race, but it's non stop all the time. Even on your break, you're like looking where your teammate is, if he's doing good lap times. It, I really enjoyed it when I did the endurances and I, I think they were a lot of fun. But then I, when I've got the sprint in on the same weekend, sometimes I'd have to do the sprint races, then have 10 minutes off and then go straight into like a 45-minute a stint I used to have to do. So it was hard work, but proper enjoyable. Yeah, and do you think you'll carry on with that? Because obviously you've got the World Endurance Championship and you see a lot of big names in that, like Nicola Canaper and uh, Josh Hook, Mike DiMeglio, former 125 world champion that was winning yeah. races probably before you were born. But uh, yeah. you get some real fast guys still in, in World Endurance and I think people don't realise just how fast endurance racing is. No, yeah, it is very, like, yeah, it's very quick. It's a constant speed, which is at a high pace, but then you've got to try a lot of factors where you got to try and manage your fuel load and then you got to try and keep your tyres just not to um, worn away. And then, uh, yeah, I proper enjoy it and I hope I keep on doing them as long as No Limits keep on keep on supplying like them at the rounds. And I, there's one at Anglesey where they do a 10-hour one and I've not done that and I'd, I'd like to do that. Wow, 10 hours. Wow, that'd be... Uh... See, I prefer sleeping 10 hours. That's, that's more my cup yeah. of tea. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned obviously BSB. A lot of people listening will will of course follow BSB uh, from from a superbike class at the top end right the way down to to the the junior supersports um, as as they've now got Superstock six hundred. There's not many championships of Superstock six hundred left in the world, is there? I mean, uh, it yeah. used to be a, a European championship that got disbanded, but I know that um, certainly here in the um, in the UK, certainly in Spain as well, they uh, they have a, a stock six hundred championship. That is a very competitive class isn't it for someone with very little experience and i mean that respectfully to you fighting against some super quick guys the likes of ben luxton and zach corduroy you know the two of the names that spring to mind that were at the top of the 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 events there um again super super quick but what a way to learn i mean it's uh they always say you want to be out with the fastest riders and if you if you're going to race a super stock championship anywhere in the world definitely bsb is going to bring you on leaps and bounds yeah really good season for me the only thing with BSB, you don't get a lot of time in because you get two free uh, practices on Friday, one qualifying and then one race normally. So you have to like go from the get-go. As soon as you hear that Saxon go, you know you've got to start putting in lap times and you start got shifting. But it's helped me leaps and bounds just seeing these fast, like like say Ben Luxton, he was my teammate this year and he helped me massively with just easy things, just like going into these type of corner and doing this, what type of gearing, and really helpful being with these fast riders because you get to see it. But then when you start getting confident in yourself, which I started to do towards the end when I started getting these good, uh, okay results, I started believing that I could could be up there with them. But yeah, you, you see so much, even when you're out on track, you see where they make up that little time and it's only, every lap's just like a tenth, a tenth, a tenth. And it's it's mad because I remember on the last race at Brands Hatch, I got an eighth and I've had so many eighths and I wasn't happy, but I only finished two and a half seconds behind the leader. So I was happy being with a leading group around Brands Hatch because Brands Hatch GP circuit was the first time I ever went there. I've done the little uh, little indie circuit on the 390, but around the GP circuit, I never even walked it. So I was happy to come away with a six and an eighth there. Yeah, no, that's impressive. And again, just under, just sort of underlines just how close Superstock 1000, sorry, Superstock 600 racing uh, is. Talking about uh, Superstock 1000, obviously, I'm not sure whether the, the limit age-wise allows you to do that next year, but is that the route that you are wanting to take? I mean, what's what's the long-term ambition fit for you, Joe? Are you wanting to, to move superbike routes or given that you're on the production style of bike now, or is the plan to, you know, one day I'd like to get to MotoGP? Which which route are you, are you favouring? Yeah, obviously, I'll see in the next year how well I do. I'm open to do that. 
prove, prove to myself that I can be up there with them. But then after that, I don't know if I'll go at Supersport or the Stock 1000 because I, I don't know because Supersport 600 is good and it, it'll be nice for me. But then Stock 1000 is really competitive. But then obviously I'll be still a little bit young to go on a foul. But some people do it and some people click. But I think my my end goal and my my passion and my dream is to be in the world championship. I want to like be there and I'd I'd I want to stick with the production bikes. I think that that that's my dream. That'd be great. Well, you know, never know. Anybody listening, we could be talking to a future world superbike champion. I mean, Jonathan Ray uh, started out in, uh, in in BSB, didn't he? And he did 600s there and and, and did uh, British Superbike. So you, you could be the next champ. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know, but I hope so. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. What, what kind of things do you do then away from the track? What do you do to, to unwind and relax? I mean, obviously in COVID times, it's a bit restricted. We can't really go anywhere at the minute, but, you know, do what, what, what kind of things do you do to relax and, and keep yourself fit ready for, for when racing starts yeah I I do a lot of training to be fair I train twice a day and then I go to my dad's uh, he's, my dad owns a garage and I do some work work stuff with him I do a bit of painting panelling and stuff and preparing that but throughout the off season I just yeah train no train I do quite a little bit of boxing and uh, I just started getting uh, quite back into cycling in the off season and yeah, just trying to just trying to keep like going. Yeah, absolutely. What about uh, what about TV stuff? Obviously, I'm a celebrity's just starting again. For those that are listening around the world that don't know what we're talking about, uh, a lot of people in the UK get super excited at this time of year because normally we, uh, the the ITV, which is a, a terrestrial channel in the UK, they'd they'd normally fly ten or twelve celebrities, if we can call them that, out to the Australian jungle, and there'd be all kind of capers going on with. Uh, various celebrities eating various parts of animals. Carl Fogarty, uh, of course, four-time Superbike world champion, was the king of the jungle a few years ago. Are, are you a big fan of I'm a Celebrity or not really into that? No, I don't, to be fair, I don't I don't watch TV. I just go on like my iPad and watch YouTube a lot. What are you watching on YouTube? Come on, give us give us a give us a hint of what we should be watching. Oh, everything. I watch everything. I don't I can't even tell you what I watch. I watch that like, video games, I watch bloody podcasts I watch anything that pops up nothing nothing uh, nothing specific then just whatever no. takes your fancy at the time yeah yeah good stuff now obviously we're recording this uh, literally on uh, on Monday the 16th of November which is 24 hours after Joan Mir became uh, the fourth Spaniard to win the MotoGP World Championship. Uh, did you watch the racing at the weekend from from her? Um, I was going to say Jerez, but that's World Superbike test that's happening tomorrow. So it was from Valencia, wasn't it? Did you uh, did you watch the racing yesterday? Yeah, I, I did watch the whole the weekend, and it was impressive what May did to hold on, hold like get the title and just not crack underneath the pressure because it just shows you that he's only won one one race. But consistently, he's just been on form every weekend, and that just shows that consistency can win championships. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what do you make of? Uh, obviously, there's still two championships that are still open. Obviously, racing will take place in Portimao. I know you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you were hoping to go there, but you'd not been able to get there. Uh, I've not ridden there. I've driven a driven a safety car around there, and it's a hell of a circuit. But MotoGP are going there this weekend, aren't they? For the very first time, of course. Me as the champion now, so it's it's going to be bragging rights as far as MotoGP goes. But Moto Two, Moto Three, World Championships to be decided, and Sam Lowe's could be a Moto2 world champion and he's won races there before in World Supersport. So what's your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I've i always watched his brother Alex in like World Superbikes and Sam, I've seen him, he's, hurt, he's just hurt his hand quite badly. So he's going to be up against it, isn't he? But you don't know if he might fall off at Bastanini or and Sam might get it or Sam just will be on form again like he was at Aragon when it just shot off. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I know. Uh, obviously, yeah. we we want to we want to see some safe racing, but it would be it would be cool after all of the injuries and all of the the heartache that uh, that Sam has had over the last few years. As you said, those two races in Aragon. I mean, he was on fire, wasn't he? Just on a different planet. Yeah, it, it's very it's impressive when like that caliber of racing and that competition is that high, and they can still manage to do that. It's impressive. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, we've been chatting already for nearly 20 minutes. Time flies when you're, when you're having fun. And I think anyone listening will, will agree with me, considering this is your first ever podcast and probably your first ever uh, real interview, I think you've done a, you've done a great job, uh, really, really great job. How can, um, how can people follow you uh, in terms of uh, their social media? Because that's one of the things that the Vroom podcast wants to do, is to give you a platform so that you know, fans around the world can start to follow you. So I know you're on, you're on Twitter because we integrate on there. So tell people how can, how can they follow you on Twitter and on, on, uh, on Instagram as well, I guess. Yeah, they can follow me on everything. Like, uh, everything, uh, Instagram, Facebook. It's Joe Tolbert, 19 Racing. That's my Instagram. I think that's the same as my Facebook. And Twitter is Tolbert, 19 Joe. Fantastic. And of course, uh, anybody that's uh, clicked the link to listen to this podcast on Twitter, uh, you'll be able just to go to the uh, the Twitter account, either of myself or of Gareth Bouch, the producer. Uh, and obviously Joe's uh, Twitter handle will be in the uh, in the link. So it'll be nice and easy to uh, to follow him uh, on, on there. Uh, Joe, final question then, uh, before we let you go and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Plans for 2021. I'm guessing that it's staying in BSB, but can you tell us officially what you're going to be doing next year or is it still top secret? No, uh, I'm sticking with the same team, Joe, uh, JR Performance. He just looked at, I was in Spain on 390 and he helped me out so much and he fixed my bike because I crashed out there and then he said, you could have a go at one of my bikes, which he was looking after Ben Luxon at the time and said, yeah, you can have a go at my bike at the end of the year. And then my dad stayed in touch with him and then he just like picked me up and he let me come into his team. And then he said, do you want to ride for me? And I said, yeah. And I, he's helped me out so much this year and I'm going with him for next year in the BSB Stock 600 again and just see where we end up. Hopefully more up up the top end but I was happy with this season and I hope the same for next yeah, no, I think it's great I mean to finish uh, to finish top eight in the, the British Championship in your first year is a phenomenal achievement and, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more from you over the coming years and I'm seriously looking forward to seeing how you get on uh, next year I think it's going to be a great season hopefully fans will be allowed back in so uh, you'll be able to get signing a load of autographs when you get on that podium <laughs> Yeah, people were saying oh, it's so different this year at BSB without having fans, but because it was my first time like riding at the BSB, I don't know any difference. So I am excited to see what it's all about and to see see all the stands in the on the sidelines. So it'll be good. Yeah, now that's, that's true. Actually. I never thought about that, actually, uh, when you said that earlier on. Of course, for you, you've got no previous experience in, in BSB. So for you, the fact that the paddock was quite empty, that there was nobody hanging flags over the fence, it, you didn't know any different. I never thought about that. It's a different angle that, that no one's ever really talked about. So, uh, yeah, I think you'll be in for a shock next year, then, when you've got 60-odd thousand fans turning up at Cadwell. Yeah, it'll be exciting. And I think I think it's helped me this year with having that as much pressure, but it'll be exciting. Yeah, it will indeed. Well, Joe, uh, thank you so much for, for dialing in and joining us. Wish you uh, obviously a very safe uh, winter period uh, and uh, obviously look forward to seeing you on track next year. Yeah, mega. Thank you very much for having me on. You're more than welcome. So, ladies and gents, that was Joe Talbot, 17 years old, another bright star making his way in the motorcycling world, world from the UK. <laughs> My final guest this week on the Vroom podcast is Aussie sensation Tom Taparis, who is dialing in from what looks like a prison in uh, in Australia. He's not in prison. Uh, he's uh, safely made it back to uh, to Australia, uh, but is under strict quarantine uh, regulations there. So, Tom, thanks for dialing in. And uh, as I said, joking aside, you look like you're uh, you're in a prison cell there, mate. But uh, at least you've made it back home. That's the good thing. Hey, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um... Yeah, just a little bit of a jail here. They've got a, a pretty strict setup um, coming into Australia. Obviously, everyone knows that Australia's done pretty well through the virus, but um, for uh, the poor people who have to come back, it's two weeks, 14 days of complete isolation in a little hotel room. So uh, to some, that mightn't seem like much, but it's actually a lot tougher than it seems. So yeah, all the Aussie riders coming back from Europe this year are all pretty much in the same boat at the moment. So um almost over and it's probably worth it once you get the other side. Yeah, for sure. And as you said, I've got a lot of friends in, in, in Australia and it does seem that things are being contained there. Uh, very few cases, if not any in Australia. So 
you know, not wanting to, to turn the podcast into a, an epidemiologist <laughs> virus podcast, yeah. we are starting to see at least some headway, aren't we? Which is a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Australia is like a, even before coronavirus, like I think when you look at border security, you see actually power. So um, it's a lot easier being an island nation and, um yeah life i think internally like where i am now in wa there's no coronavirus at all so there's music festivals again like life is almost back to normal so hopefully heading into summer in the next month or so australia will nearly have like eradication is obviously almost impossible but uh, life will be pretty much as normal and a bit of sunshine get away from the european winter yeah, thank, thanks for reminding me. I'm uh, obviously recording this from, from my apartment in, in London and it is freezing. We had torrential rain last night. It feels about three degrees. It's, uh, it's not good. Obviously, we're going to chat to you for the next 20, 25 minutes. We're going to inform all of our listeners uh, about who you are, if they don't know who you are, or talk a little bit about your exploits in, in the Aussie Championship, or talk a little bit about uh, the great wildcard appearances that you've had in, in the World Supersport Championship. And of course, uh, this season, which was, uh, of course, the BSB Championship, you raced in Supersport there. Um, let's just turn the clock back, though, because you are you know, still a youngster, uh, forging a great career ahead of you, I'm sure of that. How did you get into to racing? What was the sort of the, the driving force behind it? Um, yeah, so I've been racing now for, this is my, actually, well, this was my fifth season. So I started in 2016, um, just like local sort of stuff on a just Ninja 300, which was what the class was at the time. Um, yeah, just uh, a lot of, I think most of the European people would almost know the name of Troy Herfpos. He's like a, he's the main guy here pretty much in Superbike for the last couple of years. So yeah, I grew up in the same town as him and um, he put me in touch with a guy one day. I was riding motocross beforehand and he put me in touch with a guy uh, who actually is the, the guy that's team partners with Troy Bayless at the Ducati team here in Australia. And yeah, I pretty much was like super lucky to just land straight into a great team, um, teammates with Ollie Bayless and like the setup there at Cube Racing uh, was so good. And like when you have guys around you like Troy Bayless in the, in the pit box, you just learn so much. Like when they when you get getting advice from people like that, when you're that young, you just learn without even trying. Um, so I just had like a, a the first couple of years of, you know, my racing was super easy and uh, like just learning, learning tracks and, and traveling all over Australia in the beginning. And then, yeah, now moving uh, over to Europe at, at this moment uh, and just trying to just do as much racing as I can um, to be honest. But yeah, it's just been a crazy couple of years and, um yeah like i said a few few good wild cards here and there i've kind of never really got an opportunity to put a, a few rounds in the world championship back to back which is what i really want to hopefully eventually get an opportunity to do um but anyway at the moment i think um just getting by really like this year was a bit of a bit of a um a hard one but it was a hard one for everyone so um yeah anyway move on to next season now and hopefully continue moving forwards yeah, I mean, as you said, you mentioned a couple of great riders. They're obviously Troy Bayless, multiple world champion, Herfoss, multiple Aussie superbike champion, and he's, he's obviously been a wild card rider as well, hasn't he, in, in world superbike. Yeah. What was it like? I mean, I, I know Troy really well, um, and I guess people listening and people when they watch races, they kind of see these, these stars of racing as sort of untouchable, but the two guys that you've mentioned in particular, especially Troy, uh, Troy Bayless, he's so down to earth, isn't he? He's, there's no, there's no arrogance. There's no airs and graces around him. He's just a genuine guy, down to earth guy who just is bloody fast on a motorbike. And, you know, even now when you see him in the paddock, I remember this year in, in, in world superbike round in Australia, he just has time for everybody. He's, you know, there's, he's, he's just such a really cool guy. So I think from your point of view as a, as a youngster, as a teenager, learning to ride uh, in that environment, I mean, that must've just been, it must have been crazy because you'll have seen these guys on TV winning world championships and there he is in the, in the box helping to change tires and stuff because he is, he is hands-on, isn't he? He's not just sitting back as a yeah. bigger head of the team. He gets really stuck in. Oh, yeah. He's, he's invested fully, like, um, in, especially into Ollie's racing now. Um, but, like, even at the two years ago, he was racing Superbike here in Australia um, and winning races, like, I think at 50 or 49 or whatever he was at the time. He is, like, of all the... I've, you know, I've seen a lot of races. He is the only guy that I've ever seen, or the, the best guy I've ever seen with people and dealing with people. Like someone as big as him, you go to an Australian round and everyone is there really to see him. Like he's the draw card. Um, and the way that he can deal with like a lot of fans and um, media and everything, like it's 
just like it's nothing kind of he doesn't it's just like natural for him to just deal with with that stuff and then he, that like when you don't have that pressure I guess when he gets on the track he's just the craziest guy he's so loose but he always makes it work like I've, so many times you'd be in the, the pit box um with him when he was racing and like let's say he was struggling before a session not struggling but he's the most mentally strong person like he would if he told himself he was going to do something he'd literally say i'm going to put the second quality i remember in darwin 2018 he put his second qualifying tire in the morning australian racing is a little bit different with that quality and stuff but um did the complete opposite strategy to everyone and like came from nowhere sort of straight to the front um and like it's hard to explain but he's just so um you know the only guy i've ever seen if he tells himself he's going to do something he just believes in himself and does it and um being a young fella seeing that at the track kind of pretty crazy thing to see and i'm, I'm very lucky because a lot of guys you know after watching him for years before a lot of guys would dream of being in the position that i was in that team to be able to to experience that stuff with him and um yeah something that you always remember and something that i'll never forget yeah, for sure. I'm sure a lot of people will be will be really jealous listening to that. You mentioned Ollie, obviously Ollie <laughs> Bayliss, uh, Troy's uh, Troy's son. You've got a really good relationship with him. I remember you guys being on the the stage at the Paddock Show in in Phillip Island a couple of years ago, and the banter. And you know, it's how important is that as a youngster in Australia? Because as you said, the the championship is different, the format is different, the the way that you score points is is different. But the rivalry on the track is 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 real. It's the same as it would be anywhere else. But but off track what I noticed when I've been in Australia is it's uh, it, it's still very friendly. You know, there are friendships that are formed. That's obviously gone out the window when the helmet goes on because you want to, you want to beat everybody. But the, the way that the paddock is, it does seem a very friendly paddock, um, which is a little bit unusual in, in some championships, you know, not mentioning, not saying that every championship is not friendly, <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say? It's yeah. kind of like there, there is a real yeah, yeah. family atmosphere in, in the ASBK, which is, which is good. You know, I've been lucky to, 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 to be at a few rounds. I was at the Bend last year and, and there is a real nice camaraderie within the paddock. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, Ollie's obviously one of the, probably the biggest riding, uh, shining star of Australian racing, like up and coming. Um, and I think in a couple of years, for sure, you'll see him overseas uh, racing in the World Championship, no doubt. Um, but yeah, like for, for him and I, we've always, well, last three or four years, we've been teammates. So always together and um unfortunately he lives about 12 hours away from me so um although we we live so far away we were spending a lot of time together and yeah such good mates like always making it fun i think you know I, the last last year i actually moved away from key racing and sort of started doing my own thing um and i definitely missed the fun that he brought to the track but at the same time i was racing him then so um yeah still a good relationship even I should probably say we're we're racing each other in three weeks. The Australian Championship's back on um, before Christmas. We have one more round, so uh, championships on the line. He's six points in front of me at the minute, so uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, in, at the end of the day, we're still still really good mates, and I talk to him almost every day still. So yeah, it's really good. But the Australian Championships, yeah, it's kind of like you said, it's a family. It's family sort of orientated. That most of the teams are family run. Um, to be honest, they're family run sort of setups so yeah it's really different to even something like bsb where it's quite um you know that big teams uh lots of money in it so yeah i think the atmosphere at an ace race is really really good and uh sort of sort of like most paddocks but i think it's quite it's at the size where um everyone knows everyone so it's really good good fun racing yeah, you mentioned the the championship is back on. That was something I was going to touch on in uh, in the podcast. The Australian Superbike Championship starts normally at Phillip Island. It's a, a support uh, round of the of the World Superbike Championship that kicked off as normal. You were obviously in action there. The plan then for you was yeah. to go and race in the World Supersport Championship, the European part of that. Um, that obviously didn't happen for various reasons. You, you raced in in BSB, which is which is great. You're a former podium finisher in in BSB. Um, but the Australian Championship hasn't had another race since February. So unlike yeah. the European rounds, unlike yeah. the World Championship, unlike Moto America, who've all been able to complete seasons, um, not a single wheel has been turned. The final round, which yeah. I think is fantastic that, that Simon and all the guys at ASBK and Motorcycling Australia have managed to put something together. It'll be a, a four-day event, I understand, multiple races, 
Um, they've had to change the venue at the last minute. But on the first weekend of December, um, they've managed to put it together that the championship will run, all classes will run. Um, people over here in Europe, you can watch it online. You, you can subscribe. So if you go to ASBK.com, uh, you can get on there and you can down, download the, the subscription and watch the racing. Um, you are the reigning Aussie Supersport champion. Um, and I guess now the way that things have panned out, it's kind of played a little bit to you to your favor because it now means that you can successfully, hopefully successfully, defend your championship, which had the season been normal, you probably wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird one. Like I think everyone at Philip Island, uh, sort of no one saw what was coming. It was only a, I think a week or two later that it really got next level. We were all in Australia and um, yeah, went to the first round and it was good weekend. Um, but then yeah, I flew I flew the week after Philip Island over to Europe to start testing for uh, the European Super Sport Championship or Cup. So um, of course I didn't expect to be able to have the opportunity to do any other ASPK. Um, but yeah, now it's just a weird one. Like Australia is, although we've done so well with the virus, the governments have been so, the state governments, it's sort of, it's, if not in Australia, you don't understand, but the state governments more or less um, closed all the internal borders and they haven't been open since. So for a national championship like BSB, it's such a small country and, and there's, if you're allowed to move, you can move around, but um, you couldn't cross the border from Victoria to New South Wales or Queensland or whatever. So um, they couldn't, they could, teams couldn't cross the border, so it just didn't happen, um, which was a real shame because, um, well, for me, in, in the end, like I, like I said, I didn't expect to be here, but now um, get out of this jail cell and in, in four days and then I'll get home and start doing some riding again um, and, yeah, go hopefully head-to-head with Ollie. And there's a few other guys. Tommy Edwards has come back as well and he's going to – he did the first round on 600 and he'll do the last round as well. And um, there's a lot of guys, Nick Limington, uh, most, you know, most guys um, in that championship are going really well. So I'd love to get to defend my championship. I don't think it's going to be as easy as, um, as I would have hoped. But, yeah, like you said, it's a weekend with, I think we have four races in one weekend, which is quite a lot. Um, but, yeah, it's looking forward to it for sure. Something hopefully we can all get to and have fun and, and, and sort of end the year as a bit more of a normal um, sort of thing before before Christmas and heading into next season. Yeah, absolutely. Want to talk a little bit about the wild cards uh, that you did? Um, specifically, the one I think twenty eighteen is the one that stands out in my my memory, where you were a top ten finisher in the world championship, which is insane. And I remember talking to you uh, on the Friday on the stage. And for those fans that are from a car world, we have a lot of car subscribers that listen to uh, to the podcast. Uh, World Superbike is very unique in the fact that we bring the riders and the fans together throughout the weekend. And, and one of the things that I really enjoy uh, specifically in, in, in America and also in Australia is that we bring the national championships into that environment. So we, we were, it was great because it was the first year that we were able to not just focus on Superbike, but also focus on the Supersport classes and the junior classes and really show some of the talent that's in Australia uh, to, to the fans on, on, on the main stage. I remember talking to you early in the weekend and you know, you were super calm. I mean, I think for a teenager, if that had been me making my World Supersport debut, I'd have been thrown up in the toilet or something. I mean, you were so calm, you were so relaxed, but you were literally mobbed, weren't you? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it must have been crazy for you that you know, so many people asking for autographs, different media and journalists wanting to talk to you, and you played it down. And then you go and pull that result out of the bag, which was the best result since I think, since Anthony West got on the podium in, in World Supersport. And everyone's like, Jesus, who is this kid? I mean... Just talk to us about that, if you can, because that must have been a weekend that you've never experienced and certainly never forgotten. Yeah, it feels like forever ago now. Um, but yeah, it's a, like you said, the our national championship runs alongside the World Supermarkets down there. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a weekend where I do the, do a lot of riding. Um, so for that weekend specifically, it was, uh, I was riding the R6 in ASBK three races in that weekend as well as the super sport stuff. So, you know, if it, I was out on the bike so much for that weekend. Um, you know, every time, every time the, the, the pit, the pit lane opened, the guys would have the bike ready and I'd just get on the bike I'd, and just go. Uh, and it's sort of difficult because you're testing two bikes, uh, cause the rules for our national championship are quite standard. Um, so one, one engine in the what super sport bike, we had a good engine. And then in the Aussie bike, 
the bike's pretty much stock, or it's like a stock, super stock bike. So getting jumping from one to the other was a little bit different. But yeah, just like you said, there was quite full on. Um, you know, that weekend, those weekends are hard because, like you said, the paddock shows on. So there's a few appearances you have to make there, which is which is really good to see everyone. And it's just like before you know it, a weekend like that, when you're at the start of it uh, on the Thursday, it looks like you got it something massive ahead of you and then you get to Sunday and it's kind of gone like that so yeah that weekend I had three three wins in the Aussie Super Sport Championship and then yeah finished 11th in Super Sport which was in World Super Sport which was probably my best result I think um, that I've ever got I think in my career uh, as a highlight so yeah that's um, another weekend I'll never forget but yes yeah, feels like how long do you, that feels like forever ago now doesn't it so it does, yeah it does it feels um, it does feel quite a quite a way a way that it's, it's strange how, how time flies but but I always remember um I just remember that so well because you know we go to all these different countries with with different national championships and it's been a long time since we've had Australians in in superbike and in in super sport and I think it kind of give a little bit of hope certainly from the fans perspective I don't know what your your take on it was but their reaction to you and to uh, and also to Troy. I think Troy Herfos was also riding that weekend in, in Superbike. But the yeah. Aussie fans' response to the wildcard element of World Superbike is something that maybe you're too young to remember. But I remember back in the day when we'd get wildcards from BSB that would rock up and they could win races. And the same in Japan. You know, you'd get the Japanese local guys rocking up and, and fighting yeah. for and fighting for decent results. And it kind of had that feel to it. Um, I say you're probably too young to remember, but... You know the Aussie fans; they they're really passionate about the racing, aren't they? They want to see you and, and some of the other guys that you mentioned, Ollie Bayliss, uh, Tommy Edwards, you know Tom Bramish, some of the guys that have already started to make their way across to Europe. Um, but it takes time, doesn't it? That's the point, and I think people forget that. You know, rules change, racing changes, and it's kind of you've got to reset the wheel if that makes sense and, and start again. And it, it's going to take a few years, but as you've just said, there, there's four, five, six guys at least that could could soon be in world championship racing and for, for the Australian fans, that's great. You know, we've got it in MotoGP, haven't we? Cause you've got Jack Miller, you've got uh, Remy Gardner that's yeah, now Remy. really doing su- super, super well in Moto2. So, but it's taken time to get to that, hasn't it? Since Casey stopped and, and you know, obviously Wayne Gardner and, yeah. and, do, and it takes time. It's like the next, the next class, if you like, or the next, the next sort of bunch of guys that come through. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Aussies do get behind it, especially down at the Island. Um, because it's a long way away and most people that go there, they know they're racing. So I think for me, for me being a kind of young guy and, um, you know, I have opportunities from you to get up on the paddock show and in front of everyone and it's a week like that, you meet so many people. So yeah, it's a, it's a really cool feeling to sort of feel like a, not a hero, but sort of, um, you know, part, like part of it, you're, you're in a, and, and when you get a decent result for me, like 11th was really good at the time and, uh, it's it's sort of a great feeling. Um, so hard to go over to Europe and and like Remy for Remy and Jack for example, um, like those guys. The whole TV show in Australia for MotoGP is all about them. So the Aussies like really do love the racing. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's been a while since something like I think Brooksy won Brooksy wildcarded and won quite a few years ago, 2004 or something like that. And Westy obviously has done a couple of really good races in World Super Sport there at the island as well. Um, but, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, yeah, great feeling. And um, hopefully I get a couple more opportunities. If, if we can get World Superbike back to Australia, I'd love to have a couple more goes. And um, wildcards are a hard one because it's easy to sign up to do a wildcard when you just don't have the gear. Like for, for Australians, um, it's hard because – the European guys do all the preseason testing and then they come out here um, with really good bikes and everything like that. But for Australians, we don't really have the money here. Um, speaking for all Australians, same with when you wildcard for GP, the money just isn't here and we don't actually have the equipment. Like for me, even last year I moved over and raced in the IDM championship and the level from my Aussie bike to jump, to jump and see that what we're riding on the electronics and, telemetry like we in australia we don't have telemetry still um because they try and keep the cost down so for that but you know that aspect of it we don't have any data when the european guys have data it just changes the game so for aussies to to have to go overseas and learn about that sort of stuff um we're a couple of years behind from the get-go but i think there's a a good young batch of young young fellas in 
sort of on Moto3 bikes and also in the 300 championship, there's a couple of Aussies. But there's a few Aussies in the Spanish and Italian championships that I think in the next couple of years, you should see like Billy Van Erd and in the um, Junior Talent Cup, not Junior Talent Cup, um, the European Talent Cup, yep. is it? Uh, yeah, and also C- he's, he's, he's also in the Asia Talent Cup as well. There's a couple of Aussies in that as well, isn't there, I think? Yeah, there's a few in it, which that didn't run this year, unfortunately, because yep. of the virus. But um, yeah, the next couple of years, you'll see a wave of young fellas and also Ollie, but there's heaps of guys coming through. And I think that phase where we didn't have many Aussies in the champ- in the World Championships at all over the last 10 or so years, I think that's going to hopefully come to an end and we'll see a few more Aussies in the championship permanently. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, we know or we knew that you were coming on and uh, I'm quite keen to, to explore your thoughts on, on the circuits of the world. We've had a few riders from de- various championships uh, over over the, the last couple of months, ranging from, from Loris Baz uh, from a World Superbike perspective, right the way down to grassroots races that are that have uh, just starting out. You've obviously got experience of racing on the tracks in, in Australia, um, which my experience are quite similar to the tracks in, in the UK. You've got two or three that are, I would class as you know, world-class level. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully to, to any of the circuits that I'm about to mention because they're all fantastic circuits, but I'm talking about homologated circuits for world championship events where you've got the likes of Silverstone, you've got the likes of Donington Park, Brands Hatch, uh, which is a former, obviously, world superbike um, circuit. Then in the UK, we've got circuits which are not homologated for world championship events. They provide great races, but they're not homologated. So the likes of Cadwell Park with that spectacular jump over the mountain, Knock Hill in Scotland, which is a 58, 59 second lap. It's quite similar in in Australia. I mean, you've got Phillip Island, which is a world-class circuit. You've got the Bend now, which I was fortunate enough to go to last year in Adelaide, which is a, a fantastic facility, a new circuit. But then there's a lot of yeah. other circuits that are quite short and they're very similar to, to BSB. I just wonder what your experience was in terms of the circuits and how easy or difficult it was adapting to, to European life. You mentioned IDM, you know, they're racing at circuits like Hockenheim, like the Nürburgring, Assen, you know, all these circuits that, you look, that you've been at. They're very, very different to the short 50-second laps that you get at, um, you know, I don't know, how, I don't know how long Wakefield Park is, but that's quite a short circuit, right? Yeah, less than a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 59 seconds for us, I think. But yeah, um, yeah, Australia is kind of a weird one. Like I said before, we've got such a big country and let's say we have 15 tracks spread over that whole country. Um, it's three days drive from, you know, some tracks for some people. So um, yeah, we've got the island and, and Eastern Creek and also the Bend now, which are probably the GP spec circuits. And then you've got Wakefield and a lot of tracks that actually only really started out as set maybe some old an old car club or something that just um, made a track and they hot mixed it. And then, you know, every 10 years or so they put an extension until the track was kind of raceable. So, you know, um, Winton was another track, which was on the calendar this year in Australia, which was, you know, sub minute. And now it's, uh, I think now it's about a minute 20 lap or something, but the circuits, I would say they're like BSB tracks in the way that the sort of infrastructure around the tracks are and this old surfaces and whatnot. And safety levels um but i think without the crazy um characteristics of like the jumps and um brands hatch i was there a couple of weeks ago and that's a kind of another eye-opener of a circuit um but yeah then when you go to tracks in in europe like last year i did idm and i actually really enjoyed the circuits in germany and, and in holland and uh we raced in belgium like those tracks are kind of old school tracks but they're still gp spec like Hockenheim's kind of a car racing circuit, but still great, uh, great facility. Um, GPs, like sort of like a lot of the other European tracks. Um, but yeah, like I've been to a lot of, you know, quite a few tracks all over Europe now. I've been to Czech Republic, uh, to Bruno and, and race in Italy and whatnot. So uh, then to go this year and race in the UK and do a couple of races, that was another another aspect because it's you grow up watching not only car not only bike racing but also car racing so to go to a famous track like brands hatch um to kind of you know you play the also you you learn that i've learned the tracks on video games without even knowing that i was going to go there when i was a little kid on playstation and then when you go to brands hatch you kind of have a lot of respect for the history of the track and uh, i like that aspect of it i like going to a track like donington or brands hatch where um, you've seen a lot of big races and then kind of just feel like I feel, I feel really privileged to be able to travel Europe and riding my motorbike at the end of the day. That's, that's 
what you forget that we're lucky enough to be able to do. So, but yeah, the tracks um, definitely vary. I think um, ideally the the coolest tracks and the, the easiest, not easiest tracks, but um, it's it'd be great to get on the European uh, on the World Championship calendar and and go around those those big, you know, the best tracks in the world, really. Um, but yeah, anyway, BSB I really enjoyed. So those tracks were crazy cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's probably a little bit easier coming from Australia to BSB. And we've seen historically, haven't we, a lot of um, Aussies coming over to, to BSB. Obviously, Josh Brooks, you mentioned, but previously the likes of Paul Young, Glenn Richards, you know, a whole ream of riders that I could list off that have, that have come across. Uh, Crispy Mullen uh, came over, didn't he, to uh, to make his name in, in yeah. BSB before he went off. So it's it does seem that that's... The, the path that a lot of uh, a lot of Aussies take. We've been chatting for almost half an hour. I've got a couple more things just very quickly. Firstly, a lot of people listening to this will think, "Oh, he seems like a really cool guy. We want to we want to follow him, see how he gets on in the future." How can how can people inter interact with you on social media? Yeah, um, most of my racing stuffs on Facebook uh, at Tom Paris Racing or Tom Paris Seven. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and um, what else? I don't actually. I've, don't actually use Twitter to be honest. I need to, I need to get my Twitter stuff sorted out. But yeah, Instagram, Facebook at Tom to Paris should be able to find me. I think. Yeah, perfect. So I'm sure you're going to get inundated now by people that want to uh, want to follow <laughs> you, which is uh, which is always good. And uh, final question, which we've got to ask, is uh, what is the plan for for 2021 for for Tom to Paris? Obviously, I know a lot of it will be dependent on the pandemic and coronavirus and where we are with that. But is is the plan to to, to still explore the avenues in, in Europe and, and maybe the world championship or have you got a different plan after this year? Yeah, no, I definitely want to come back to Europe. Um, done my years in Australia now. And I think uh, this year, you know, with, I wanted to do the world championship, but I think um, now for me, the kind of goals have sort of changed a little bit. I really enjoy BSB. The organization was so good uh, and I've got a great bunch of guys around me there um, with Benner racing and, and also Jimmy Redmond was the guy that got me over there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want to have a full shot at a championship in BSB. Like this year, I was I've been unlucky. I broke my wrist at the first weekend, so I didn't really get to learn. I only went to, to two tracks in the end. So I want to get over there and put a whole season together. And actually, I like being in England's good. Like the the paddock feels a bit more like home. Like in Germany, um, you know, you can, you can you know go alright. But I think at when you're in England, Australians and and the English are really similar. So. Uh, I enjoyed the, my time in England. I just want to have a good crack at it. So nothing set in stone yet, but uh, I would love to get back to BSB and just put a season together and learn those circuits and hopefully put myself in a position where I can live over there and race similar to Brooksy or O'Halloran or, or Ben Caro, the other guys that have been over there for years. That's what that's my kind of goal now, I think. Perfect. Well, that's, uh, that is definitely something for the fans of, uh, of BSB to look forward to. And uh, as I said, whether you end up staying in, in, in England and, and living and making a living at BSB or whether it acts as a springboard into the World Championship as it has, uh, that is, a, is a fantastic to, to hear. And, and I think you'd have a good shot at that. You know, and obviously the level is high in BSB, but you've, you've already been on the podium yeah, there. And, you know, as you say, if you can be injury free and string a season together, I reckon you've got a shot for the title, mate. I really do. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, I don't know. I just... It's just a hard one as a bit of an opener to see those circuits uh, and how different they are. But I think, you know, with time and if you can do a season to learn the tracks, I think the second season for sure you can race at the front and try and win races. And, yeah, I'd just love to get over there and um, give it a good crack. would be really good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we look forward to uh, to watching that. And as I said, I'm sure whenever any news is coming out, it'll be on your, your Facebook or your Instagram. So, Tom, sure. uh, we will uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for, for dialing in. As I said, uh, you, you guys listening can't see this, but he actually does look like a convict. He's got a stripy jumper. You look <laughs> like you're in prison, mate. Mate, it is prison. It, for real, we don't, the windows, I'm on the 20th story, so the windows don't even open. So I've got 10-day-old air in here. So it's definitely, it is a bit like, um, not, not, it's pretty rough, really. It's real rough in here. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend coming to Australia until... You can get through this without having to sit in a hotel for 14 days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Tom, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to chat to you, mate. Uh, keep in touch. Give my best uh, to your folks and uh, uh, your mum and dad and everybody else, your brothers, and uh, have, a, have a good winter. And, of course, good luck for the final round of the ASBK Championship, which takes place, I believe, from the 3rd to the 6th of December. Uh, and, again, as I've already said in, in the podcast, you can go online, you can subscribe, and you can watch all the races. And it's actually quite, uh, it's quite nice with there being, a, I think it's a 10-hour time difference. So it's kind of morning your time, evening our time. You can 
do a full day's work and then we can sit back with a nice beer or whatever and, and, and watch you guys racing. So it actually works out quite nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you have a good winter too, mate. We're, we're going into summer, so I feel a bit sorry for you guys. But um, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I'll be enjoying the sun and the beaches and, and everything and hopefully I'll come back over there next year and uh, have another summer over there. That'd be ideal. Yeah, I tell you, you're all take, take, take you Aussies, aren't you? I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it works out pretty well for us. I don't think Brooksy's had a, had a winter for, I think, 15 years, so it works out well. Unbelievable. You, you can have your own comedy spin-off <laughs> show after this, mate. I can see the offers are going to be flooding in. Oh, nah. Nah, mate. That's not me. <laughs> Stick no to way. racing, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where I'm at, hopefully. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, mate. Well, uh, great talking and uh, all the best for, uh, for the final round and, of course, for, for 2021. Thanks, mate. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot. A big thanks to our guests this week, to Joe Talbot and to Tom Taparis. We wish them well for their 2021 campaigns. Make sure you stay with us next week when we'll be joined by two more stars of the two-wheel world. Tristan Finocchiaro and James Rispoli will join me next week. Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Vroom Media. The music is by The Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions.